Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today we're joined by Kent Teague, who shares the passion for Leighton Orient that I do, as the listeners will have heard over various other episodes. Good morning, Kent. Good morning, Simon. Good to be with you. Good. Thanks for joining us. So Kent's Vice Chairman and Principal Investor at Leighton Orient, owner and managing member at Gold Creek Capital, and Chairman and CEO at Lineal Services. So for the listeners, Kent, it'd be good for you if you could give us an overview of your kind of work history and how you've got to where you've got to today. Sure. Uh, As a business person, I started out uh, in a technical field being a software developer. So I wrote software, uh, wrote some network utility software that took a company public in 1994. So now everybody knows I'm uh, I've been writing software for a long time and I really enjoy (laughs) really enjoy the process of writing software. I enjoy the instant uh, feedback and the instant gratification of getting something right. And I also like it that when you do something wrong, it's clear that you did something wrong, right? There's There's a way it works and there's a way it doesn't work. From there, I went to work for Microsoft. I was in their consulting business uh, for uh, seven and a half years. I was in charge of all retail customers worldwide. Uh, so I'm very familiar with how retail works and and the technologies that are in in retail. Uh, we had a big impact on retail back at Microsoft, specifically on the point of sale system, which I'm still very proud of for our group. Uh, from there, I went and built a company that is a managed hosting facility provider, Equinix, SunGuard, or some of the names in that space. Basically, it's where you have colos or, you know, that sort of thing. So just managed hosting facilities where people put their computers and, you know, the managed hosting facility provider does all the cooling and backup internet, backup power and all that sort of thing. And then from there, I uh, got involved with a friend, a friend of mine asked me to be involved in a company in the legal technology space. And I worked uh, in that company for about a year and a half. And then after that, we started a company called Iris Data Services. And Iris Data Services is, was in the litigation support space. So we are basically the nerds behind or the geeks behind the lawyers. It's our responsibility to get the lawyers all the information that they need in order to figure out how they're going to defend or prosecute a case. And so we do all kinds of things with information. It's a really specialized version of document management. Uh, We sold that business in 15. I decided I wanted to be in the pro sports world. So I was fortunate enough to get together with Nigel Travis and we uh, purchased Leighton Orient. Uh, We've been running that club now for three years. You know, I am very pleased that we were able to get uh, Leighton Orient to a spot where we were promoted uh, from the National League back up to the the uh, the Football League as champions of the National League, which was uh, it's one of my favorite accomplishments in life. And then just recently, we bought uh, Lineal Services, another litigation, legal technology company in the UK. My five-year non-compete, non-solicitation has run out. So now I can go back into that space. And effectively, we're getting the band back together. And so, you know, it's it's going to be a great ride. We'll see what we can do and we'll see uh, 
you know, how much we can help. Unfortunately, litigation is going to be even more prevalent uh, in our near future, probably over the next couple of years than it has been in the past, simply because there have been so many disruptions worldwide in so many different sectors in so many different ways. So we expect the business outlook for that business is going to be really good. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my, my business background. So I'm a tech guy, uh, sales and marketing guy, management guy, uh, production guy, and, and, uh, but I really love to figure out how to leverage technology into uh, businesses. You've done some amazing things. Clearly, getting Orient promoted was probably at the top of that tree. But um, <laughs> It was great. It was fantastic. Some, some will agree, some will disagree, but I certainly agree. So yeah. if, we, if we think about business and productivity, you've been involved in lots of businesses and still are in acquisitions. So what does productivity mean to you within those businesses you've owned and acquired over the years? There's two parts of productivity that I think about primarily. Number one is that I'm always trying to focus on the overall productivity of the entire, what I would call supply chain and or or the entire process so and then there are uh spot or focused uh productivity gains so one of the things to think about is how am i improving the productivity of the overall process so one overall process is there's marketing then there's sales then there's uh customer onboarding then there's production on behalf of that customer, and then there's billing of that customer, and then there's service of that customer, support of that customer, and then there is a satisfied paying customer. And so to look at the productivity across that, that entire chain means that you're focused on the productivity of the communication and the interactions between the different departments and between <clears throat> the different segments of the business. Most people think of productivity and what they want to focus on is they really just want to focus on what I call spot or, you know, focus productivity gains. They want to just focus on sales or they just want to focus on marketing or they just want to focus on service or they just want to focus on technology or they just want to focus on uh, robotics, or they just want to focus on one particular small area. I believe that one of the most important things to figure out, and I kind of learned this from a, a book called The Goal that I've read a number of times and had an, a number of people who work with me read, um, but The Goal basically says that we need to think about how we increase the throughput of the overall system. So those are the two things that I think about when I think about productivity. So there's the, the big picture stuff end to end and then the smaller tweaks to get some incremental gains within parts of those processes. Is that fair to yeah. say? You know, you know, the interesting thing is, is that if you over, if you over optimize productivity in a certain spot, then you can overrun the ability of a downstream task or a downstream activity to get done because you've put so much increased work on the downstream activity that you have by increasing productivity upstream, you've actually created a tremendous bottleneck downstream 
and you still don't get the overall throughput. So yeah, it's a, that's a challenge. And you, you mentioned before when you talked about your kind of work history about introducing POS when you were at Microsoft mm-hmm. in retail. That That's probably still one of the biggest productivity leaps we've we've still seen in retail. There's been marginal gains and clearly lots have gone online, but POS going into most retailers was a gigantic leap forward. Yeah, well, what happened was is that point-of-sale systems in retail – were limited in their capability prior to uh, the ones that we introduced uh, in the 1990s. They primarily were just a cash drawer, but they didn't, you know, we didn't have scanners. I know this is hard to believe, but (laughs) we didn't actually have the scanner uh, that now is so pervasive. And the UPC code, I remember when the UPC code was invented. And I remember when uh, we were looking at self-scanners in grocery stores in 1993, 1994, 1995. And, and so the point-of-sale systems really, with touchscreens integration, really helped point-of-sale. Scanners really helped point-of-sale. And yeah, a, a lot of that. It was Fundamentally, it was a great time. And retail was at a spot where they were ready to turn over all that hardware and all that software and upgrade it all at kind of the same time. So it was a great time. Yeah, I remember my my first job was working on the till in a a DIY store and the first incarnation was pre-POS where you had to type in the price and assign it to a category. You didn't really know what had been sold. And then we had this new fancy computer that turned up with a a red light scanner and you scanned it and it told you what it was and what color it was and how much it was and yeah it was it it was amazing but yeah look where where it's gone to today just on an aside i remember the days of whether the red scanner or the green scanner was going to win uh we had there was a red scanner and there was a green scanner two different companies and uh yeah that was that was interesting times yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago, but actually it wasn't. It was. Wasn't. It was a lifetime ago, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of productivity, lots of people go down the kind of cost reduction route and there's clearly mm. a balance between cutting costs too too far and then you reduce service and all the other great things around it. So how do you balance that growth with cost reduction service element in your considerations? Well, the way that we – I. I fundamentally look at costs uh, differently. So I'm looking at how we're getting a return on investment from a cost perspective. So we look at costs from the perspective of, are we getting the appropriate amount of value out of those costs? And if we're talking about the reduction of headcount from employees, Uh, then what we try to do is we try to figure out how to have those employees be valuable in other parts of the business. Um, Because I'm primarily a technology guy and I've always worked in companies that have grown and most would say extremely quickly, the worst sort of year-over-year average uh, is probably somewhere 50%, probably the worst. So, you know, the company wasn't twice, it took us, it took us about two years to be twice as big as we were 
two years mm-hmm. ago. So we haven't really looked at, I don't, I'm not really very good at cost reductions and doing, you know, cutbacks and, and that sort of thing. So the way I look at costs is I'm just looking for the appropriate amount of productivity out of that cost. And then how do we make sure that as we scale additional resources, how do we make sure that we're getting that same or even better productivity measure out of that? And with quick growth, clearly there's a risk that you embed unproductive processes, I assume? Um, it's hard to do that um, because I'm because we're we're very cognizant of where the constraints are in the overall throughput system. So we're very, very cognizant of where the, you know, where the optimizations need to be and where the constraints are in the throughput of the overall system. So it's pretty easy for us to identify if there is a lot of uh, inactive capacity in any particular spot along that chain. And so we don't really get caught too often with uh, areas of the business that are not uh, active or that are not productive. Now, one thing that you have to remember, or I always try to remember, is that excess capacity is not a bad thing. You need excess capacity in order to overcome a rush job, maybe something happened, uh, you know, upstream or downstream uh, that caused the delay. And now you've got more work to do than normal in your particular area over a short period of time. So sometimes uh, a little bit, I always think a little bit of excess capacity in every spot is a good idea so that you can smooth out uh, the unevenness of productivity. Yeah, and it, it probably helps with the culture as well in terms of if you work people too hard all the time, it doesn't become a very nice place to work. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing because I think every every person has a different definition of being overworked. Um, what we try to focus on is making it to where they do what they love, they're allowed to do what they love, and they are involved in ways that they want to be. And so they don't view it always as work. Sometimes it's more like a game or more like play. And, and so that, that really helps. For me, I'm very unclear as to the difference between work and play. Uh, when I go to a late Orient match and I spend from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. on a match day, uh, some people would call that work. For me, it's not. It's just pure joy. But, you know, so I don't need a rest after doing that. I, I'm, I'm really pretty tuned up about that. So it really depends on the individual. Uh, there are ways that you can overwork somebody either mentally or physically, and those do need to be watched for. But I think for, for the most part, people, if they love their work, they love to be at work. And that, that bit of spare capacity gives it the, the chance to be not all about sure. work, which I think is important. Sure. sure. So productivity in business is interesting. How do you how do you transpose that across then to productivity in football? Well, football's uh, football's a challenge. Um, you know, we we were very fortunate to have uh, a manager named Justin Edinburgh, 
and he and I talked about productivity a lot uh, on on the on the pitch. And the thing that we asked Justin to look at was where would be the easiest for the team and where would be the easiest for each individual player to improve but 5%, only 5%. That's all we were asking for. So as a striker, could we get them to improve 5% on ball handling, holding up the ball, you know, playing defense, being aggressive, causing a turnover? You know, what were the metrics in the midfield? What were the metrics for, uh, you know, the goalie, the left back, right back, center backs? And we just asked Justin to improve our overall play 5%. Uh, we actually did not achieve that. We didn't improve 5%. It was a little bit less than 5% based on the metrics that we set. But because the overall system had been improved and because each individual player that was on the pitch and the ones who came off the bench had improved, we went from finishing sort of lower mid table to being champions the very next year. And I think that a lot of people believe that they have to improve a massive, massive amount to make a big difference. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think small incremental gains over a long period of time can take you from where you are to where you want to be from a productivity perspective. And when you look back at where you came from, you can't believe that you've gotten to where you've gotten to. And there are so many innovative ways to improve, both by learning, eliminating mistakes, uh, so many different ways to improve and so many way different ways uh, to get better. Even on a football pitch, which is 11 people in a little bit of a disorganized, uh, you know, uh, situation, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, yep. and really unable to be directed. Uh, but there are ways that you can improve no matter what you're focused on. I believe there are ways that you can improve. You can improve your relationship and your interaction with your spouse, your children, your parents, your siblings, uh, your neighbors, you know, your coworkers. I believe that there are ways that you can increase the level of trust that people have in you, I think that's a very valuable thing to improve. And that's one of the things that we tried to get the players to do, figure out how to improve and increase the amount of trust they had in each other, in themselves, uh, and in the team. Yeah, it's interesting because there's, there's lots of parallels with the first part of this conversation around the the bigger picture and then those spot increases if the players are all the spots then the sum of all the parts means mm -hmm. that big that big increase that propelled us to you know back in the football league so you know yeah. and you know what's you know what's interesting about that Simon is is that you've also got to look at what we did in the four or five trade windows so it wasn't that we could keep the same exact player and they could improve enough and sometimes we had to go get a different player to come in and fill fill a particular role, and then they played that role so much better than the previous person. 
and those step ups sometimes so in a supply chain right in a production chain sometimes you may have to automate you may have to go to a robotic uh, solution or a more technically uh, aggressive solution like artificial intelligence machine learning uh, you know robotics mm-hmm. and and you do have to replace humans in 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 a certain way or you have to augment humans in a certain way so uh, it's not just that you take whatever you have and you improve that, and that's your that's the only way you can do it. Sometimes you have to bring in new pieces and new parts too. So it's challenging. It's challenging. Yeah, and the, the leaders always have a big impact on that, as you mentioned, Justin, and we, we all miss him. And um, just remember the good times that he brought us because they they certainly were in that season. Yeah, no doubt. Well, he did he did really well from the day he started, right? I mean, his his points to game ratio is one of the highest in all of Leighton Orient history. So, uh, yeah, he did very well. He'll always be remembered. No doubt. No doubt. So one question we're asking everybody who comes on the podcast, and we've had some really, really amazing bits of, um, of answers, is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? Wow. I've been given a lot. Of business advice. Um, some good and some bad, I suspect. Let me, this is going to be a little strange, I think, maybe for a lot of people. At Microsoft, there was a very strong belief that the people who created the wealth should share in the wealth they created. And while that's not necessarily what someone might call a piece of business advice. Uh, It was something that I took to heart very, very dearly. Uh, Bill was very good to me, and I was very good to Bill. Mm -hmm. And, um, And so, you know, it's interesting if you structure your company or you structure your business around the idea that you're going to create wealth and you're going to create so much wealth that you have enough to share with everyone who helped create that wealth. I think the second piece of business advice that I was given, again at Microsoft, um, was allow the employees to set their own goals and their own expectations and then align those with the overall objectives. And what we found at Microsoft and what I've found since then is that when employees are allowed to say, these are my goals for the next six months or the next year, these are the things I'm dedicated to figuring out, these are the things I'm dedicated to improving, a lot of times, the individual employee is more aggressive about what they want to accomplish than we would have been as a manager telling them what we wanted them to accomplish. And what also happens is when it's their commitment, it's their goal, it's their objective, then they are even more committed to it and they figure out ways to get things done that you don't necessarily necessarily understand or believe or expect when it first gets started. And so I think, and so what we do as a process is we set overall high level objectives for the business. 
and then we get the individual objectives from each employee and then we marry those two together and that that's another sort of like business process that i think has made a tremendous tremendous difference uh, for the businesses that i've worked at and then the the last piece of business advice that i got again at microsoft is people are human now that seems like a strange piece of advice from business uh, from a business perspective but i think what uh, was being communicated to me my steve balmer was that they make mistakes they're fallible they're not perfect they have strengths they have weaknesses but they are intelligent they are creative they are passionate they are loving they are caring they are human and the important thing to do is to build a team of humans that rely on each other that cover each other's weaknesses that create value together uh, that enjoy being together and that that's how you build a great business that you build great businesses with people through people because of people that's why we're doing all of this stuff and i'll never forget steve kind of telling me this and i was just amazed that the guy that was running microsoft was telling me that it was all about people when i thought it was all about technology right and he was like no it's 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 about technology sometimes but most of the time it's about people so i would say those three things uh people who create wealth should share in the wealth they create uh allow uh the employees to set their own objectives over a six or 12 month period of time review how they've done and then marry that to the overall objectives of the business and then remember that you know people are human and that's the reason you're in business love all three of those really good yeah so thanks for joining us kent i look sure. forward to seeing you around late annoying in the near future whatever I, the, the world I, holds yeah I, I have a huge hole in my saturdays right now i ha i don't have a trip planned to uh leighton which is just bothers me to no end it's been two months since i've been there that's probably the longest time it's been since i've been to london uh since we've owned the team so uh yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back and 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 being back in london and lineal services is also in london so i got more than one great reason to come back well thanks for joining us kent take care yeah thank you simon all the best mm -hmm.